You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. All right, Power Athlete Nation, welcome to another episode. What? Is there too much volume for you? You're perked up. Well, you know what? I just, uh, we took a little break. I had a little extra coffee. You know, and that coffee, that uh, that stuff that I got you, uh, that I picked up from Costco, stuff gets you right. Oh, I know. I think I'm over-caffeinated. Uh, impossible. Impossible. Can't happen. But we are here on another episode of Power Athlete Radio, and we are answering some questions from the hotline. I know we've been away from the hotline for a minute, but it's always hot, and there's always questions to answer. So let's fire one up, dude. Thank you, John Wellborn, founder and CEO of Power Athlete and 10-year NFL athlete and nine-year starter in the NFL. <laughs> Thank you for joining and sitting down with me, Tex McQuilkin, the director of performance at Power Athlete. On my podcast, friend of the podcast. As we get into exploring some understanding of the Power Athlete metabolic circuit, currently Field Strong is ro- rocking and rolling to start the new year on this one. And we got a question about the circuit for high school athletes, which is very interesting. Before we get rocking and rolling on the specifics of this question, John, can you please explain the Power Athlete Metabolic Circuit, what it is, what's its purpose, and why we apply it on Field Strong, the flagship program for Power Athlete? Well, uh, Man, I'm going to have to take a few clicks back, and we're going to have to go back into the um, the archives of antiquity and give a little history on this. So when I was probably 20 years old, um, playing football at Cal, we got a new strength coach, a guy named Todd Rice. Um, Todd came in, and when we came back from winter conditioning, he brought us in and said, hey, we're about to go into a block of training. It's going to be extremely demanding. Fucking get your shit fucking right because it's starting Monday. And so we showed up Monday morning, 6 a.m., um, he didn't really, <clears throat> he didn't really give us much preface other than the fact that, uh, just do what we fucking tell you. And we jumped into something that he called the metabolic conditioning circuits. Um, at the time, uh, I think it was three sets of 10. So you ended up doing 10 reps, resting 60 seconds while your partner went, you went back and forth. There was, I think at the time, maybe nine or 10 different movements. I think it might've been 10 movements, uh, that we went through three sets of 10, 30 sets. Uh, they had trash cans next to every station because people were fucking vomiting and throwing up. And uh, it was pretty awful. Were the trash cans there because they knew? Mm-hmm. Or the coaches brought them out once kids started to No, there was tra- empty trash cans next to every squat station, every, like fucking everywhere. There was trash cans. So they pretty much told the coaches, uh, we are going to um, fucking jam it in there. Don't spit on the tip. No lube. Just fucking smash it in there on these kids. Three sets of 10. They didn't give us any uh, direction on weight. So I'm thinking like sets of 10, like 315, right? Like fucking, you know, at the time I'm a, you know, 600 pound squatter. So 50%, 315 should be fine. So do 10 reps, put it away. All of a sudden we come back, you know, my partner goes six seconds, 10 reps. And all of a sudden now, like, you know, cause I mean, here's the thing. Um, we're coming off of winter conditioning, you know, our coach, uh, you know, got fired. They brought in a new coach. Now we got a new strength coach. 
you know, and this is all starting like winter conditioning season ended, coach fired, new, I mean, like, fuck, dude, we were in limbo. We didn't have a coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they bring in Todd Rice and, um, you know, there was like, no, like, hey, we're going to do this metabolic conditioning cycle. Here's how you skin it. You know, there was no whiteboard. There was no discussion of like, hey, uh, like we weren't told if we were going to do this every day once, like there was nothing. He just basically like, you get 10 stations, here's your partner. I need you to give me 10 reps of each, 60 seconds rest while your other partner goes. You're going to go back and forth. After three, you're going to switch stations. And um, we did. And it was awful. Uh, people were puking, throwing up. Um, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're failing on weights. Like it was terrible. So uh, we ended up going through this, I think, for four or six weeks. Uh, we did it twice a week. And then we lifted weights on the other side, on the other days. And um, it, uh, it ended up being pretty awful. Um, I don't know if we necessarily reap the benefits of it, but then all of a sudden, then a year later when we went into winter conditioning and we did it again in my second year, now all of a sudden I understood how to skin it a little bit better. You know, you start conservative, you start light and, uh, I ended up, you know, surviving it, whatever I leave. Uh, and I would always end up doing some form of metabolic conditioning because, uh, that first year in the NFL, I got hurt, obviously. Um, have, so I trained with, you know, Canadi and, uh, Mike Wolf that first year, uh, had a great year. Second year I ended up going, um, well, I ended up, sorry, I got hurt that first year. Then that second year uh, going in, I trained with Mike, with, uh, Tom Canadian Wolf. And then after that second year, that's when I went down and started training with Raphael. Mm -hmm. So we would always do, as we came back, you know, we started our first training day right around February. It was the, right around the, like Valentine's day. I remember the week before Valentine's day is when we started, we always did a GPP conditioning block, very similar to what we had done with the metabolic conditioning cycles. You know, there was just a lot of stupid stuff. Like, I mean, nuts when I say stupid stuff, but all the little stuff that Roth loves to do, mm -hmm. like isometric holds with bands. And I was like, just, a, it was just Basically break you off with minimal PVC. equipment. Yeah. It was like PVC and bands. Remind you, you know, <laughs> yeah. who, who we are, who you're dealing with yeah. here. So Raphael could probably find like 10 toothpicks and fuck your world up with it. Uh, so, we always did this kind of base level conditioning GPP block. And the one thing I appreciated about Raphael, uh, um, you know, he was reading super training. So I read super training and he was always real good about like educating when I ask questions, this is why we're doing it. And, uh, he talked about, you know, creating a base level of, uh, of fitness and, you know, GPP efficient energy systems, aerobic systems, and really gave me my first experience into what I would know as, you know, strength conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, and also, for our listeners who don't know Raphael Ruiz, check out episode 664, where we sit down with Raph and Derek Woodski. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn more about the tools that John got to experience on the track, head to powerathletehq.com slash academy. We actually got an awesome course from Raph on the line. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now, back to the show. So, uh... As I got more and more into this thing, um, I'd always remembered the metabolic conditioning cycles. 
So somewhere later in my NFL career, um, this is probably like the rise of like the internet, you know, like when all of a sudden now you could Google anything. Uh, I, I, I forgot how it came across, but I ended up looking it up. And at the time, I think I put in like just metabolic conditioning or metabolic circuits and kind of went through and come to find out that uh, Husker Power. Mm-hmm. Um, so Boyd Epley, who was the strength coach at Nebraska with Dr. Kramer, put together these metabolic conditioning cycles that they used in Nebraska. And what Todd Rice was porting over was uh, the version that he wanted, which was the final version of the metabolic conditioning cycles. And as I read through the manual and looked at them, I realized that there was a whole preparatory phase, that there was a, uh, there was a GPP conditioning phase that, uh-huh. that, you know, you had to have a high level of GPP conditioning. And then there was like, uh, basically you start with one set, you go to two, then you go to three, then there's a medium light heavy. And there's like a whole way to skin this thing to where, you know, you make your athletes more successful, just showing up on day one and giving them the fucking D with three sets of 10 as heavy as you can. And then just watching people shatter into a million pieces, not the fucking way you do this. But any of those, those of you guys that are listening to this that might know Todd Rice, uh, we used to call him Rice Patty because he was fucking ready to snipe you and shoot you down at all times. I mean, he was just, uh, he was salty as fuck at that time. So I haven't seen him in years. I don't know if he's gotten better and made terms with it, but man, he was fucking on fire. So as I'm reading it, I'm like, fuck, like, I wish I had known this information ahead of time. I would have known how to skin it. Um, there was a whole preparation. So, uh, I kind of had it in the back of my pocket. And then when I was approached about doing cross football, um, I, Originally, the way that the CrossFit football program was written was I was going to do an in-season and an off-season. The uh-huh. only problem was when all of a sudden in-season started, like people started like freaking the fuck out that like, what if I'm not in-season? Yes, I do recall this and how this lived on CrossFitFootball.com at the time. It was a very simple WordPress press blog. Mm-hmm. And it was outlined in-season workout of the day off-season workout of the day, and you had your strength on the right. So yeah. everybody was following the same strength, yep. but then their conditioning would change according to yeah. their face. Yeah, so the the conditioning or really just the accessory work, you know, mm-hmm. the plyos, whatever it looked like. But originally, I wasn't even going to have it in-season and off-season. Or, sorry, I wasn't going to offer two. I was just going to have off-season, in-season training. And when all of a sudden I launched the first in-season training and no off-season People sent me emails like, holy shit, what if I'm not in season? What if I'm following this? What if I'm not this? Can you offer? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. So we just offered two versions in season and off season. So uh, as we got into this thing, when the season ended, because we launched it in March, uh, you know, late or uh, it launched on March 30th, 2009, 2009 um, which actually was my birthday or is my birthday. And then. Uh, we got through and then when we went to training camp, I had like a training camp phase and I was trying to like basically write it out like you would train a, a football player. Yeah, like a college football team, yeah. Or a professional or whatever it was. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, the fucking internet speaks and I'm like, oh shit, dude. Like, I didn't think that like normal people would just follow it for training. Like that wasn't in my thought. I thought we were training sports specific. Like I, when I was originally pitched on cross of football, it was help us enter the market on training sports specific field sport athletes. So at the time, the way Glassman explained it is we get CrossFit in the middle. I got like CrossFit endurance, 
and like that type of stuff on one end of the spectrum. I need like sport on the other end of the spectrum, like power uh, field sports. So CrossFit football will be like that piece and I'm going to bookend it. And so I wasn't trying to write, you know, basically strength conditioning programs for people like in their garage or normies, just non athletes. So, uh, as the season ended, which, you know, usually call like high school season ends around Thanksgiving, um, college football usually ends. If you're not going to a bowl game ends around Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, you know, professional football obviously goes into January. So i kind of looked at it as in college. And so, uh, after Thanksgiving, there was always like a week of like deload. And then we started and I was like, you know what I'm going to do the metabolic conditioning circuits, but I'm actually going to test them as they were designed, how they should have been done. Not the way that I did it. Cause I remembered it sucked. So we offered a little bit of GPP work. We kind of worked them in one set to 10. And I kind of like basically played with them, except I uh, adapted them over for more, you know, garage gym athlete at the time. There's a, a, a bunch of machines involved. Like you squat, you can leg press, you can lay extension, leg curl, lat pull down. Yeah. Lat pull downs. So the original program was written with, uh, with machines because you know, when you remove stability, it's easier to do probably easier to spot. Well, yeah. And you're managing 115 yep. plus dudes with only five coaches. Yeah. So, so it, it makes sense, but I ported it over into just, you know, something you could do in your garage gym with uh, barbell rows, front squats, back squats, whatever, and just work through this cycle and uh, played with the timing, played with all the other factors. And at the time I didn't know Tom Newman or, you know, or uh, Boyd Epley. I mean, I knew Boyd Epley, but I, I wasn't connected with him like we are now, but um, I didn't have access to this. I just know what I did. I know what the original said, and then I tested my own stuff. And the thing which is um, I'm really, really grateful for anybody listening to this that followed the original Cross of Football stuff because the comment section and the feedback that I was getting both through the comments and obviously the social media, you know, um, uh, Instagram uh, hadn't happened yet. So this was more Facebook and uh, Facebook I didn't really manage in that way, but it was more through the comments and the emails where people would send me emails or would send info or however, you know, they would send requests on the, on the page, but the comments of like, uh, the comment boards, the emails, and that helped me design and understand how to program. And more importantly, how to understand the flow of working with athletes because, um, I was getting real-time feedback and we were giving a program away that thousands of people a day around the globe were following. So I was putting out this program and then, uh, theorizing how I thought it should go without any support. Uh, but then what was amazing was as we got through this thing and then we kind of loaded into it, I was testing it cause we were doing it on the backside. So the week before we were testing everything and, you know, so then all of a sudden if I went from back squat to this to front squat, because I had to know how to do the transitions, um, I figured out the gold in it. And after doing it for a few years, like there became this time of year right after the season ends, you know, a little bit of GPP block, we're going to do this, uh, you know, metabolic conditioning cycles. And it's become really a hallmark of the field strong program. And it really just comes back to my own stuff. And then, you know, recently we had Tom Newman on the podcast, who's become an incredible resource and, uh, and a friend of ours, a friend of mine, uh, but has given me a ton of direction on more importantly, the effect, what we're shooting for all the numbers, like the idea of like the Biggest one that I took away from Tom Newman's discussion was for the adaptation to truly matter. You have to move about 30,000 pounds Mm -hmm. over the course of each workout. So when we skinned it back, 
you can kind of do the numbers. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, three sets of 10, you know, 30 reps over, let's say, you know, uh, X amount of, what does it be? Uh, do we do nine movements or 10 movements? I can't remember. Nine. Nine. So it's 27 different re uh, sets, 30,000 pounds. You can kind of work back and kind of figure out the numbers that you have to hit to effectively drive the stimulus. Now, the other thing that has to happen, you have to have an athlete that's fairly conditioned for this thing to work. So they have to do a form of like GPP conditioning because the higher level, which is the same thing we saw with, with Cal Dietz and the French contrast, mm -hmm. that if the conditioning or the GPP falls off, the quality of work goes down and then we don't reap the benefit. The same thing here. They have to be fairly well conditioned going into the block. And then the other issue comes down to there's a mix, a balance of strength training and lactic or bathing of lactic or of lactate, sorry, lactate. There's a lactate bathing effect that happens to stimulate to the muscles to train. Mm -hmm. So if you come in and do strength training, then the muscle that's trained when you do the metabolic conditioning, it's almost like that sets up the environment. This is the horsepower to, to drive adaptation. So there's an interesting balance of like strength work that's, that's trained. And then it's, you know, utilized. I don't know what the right word is. It's like, um, uh, I mean, it, it's enhanced. Yeah. So we get more out of the work we're putting in. It's technically, if we read it on paper, it'd be the same volume and intensity, but due to the, the adaptation going on in the body, we can get more out of the work that's being done. Yeah. So Tom made a great point where he's like, you know, if, um, you're effectively training the, the muscles that are trained ahead of time, when you put, when all of a sudden you follow with the metabolic conditioning cycles, the muscles that develop the best of the ones that were trained within like the confines of it. Yeah. The day before the day before. So that was a, a huge pack, a huge piece. So obviously base level conditioning, um, you know, some form of lactate bathing associated with, uh, with the conditioning, but primed with the strength. So there's a few back end pieces of this thing to make it truly work the way it is and uh, increase the efficacy. So the issue comes down to, and not to belabor this point over and over, but as we go back, when we're talking about high school athletes. We haven't asked the question yet. Oh. So oh. we're still laying this foundation. Oh, I, I thought we were, you, you've talked about the question, but that's a little history on the metabolic conditioning uh -huh. cycle. So Boyd Epley, Husker Power, uh, it was developed by, uh, you know, Dr. Kramer and Boyd Epley and used, and then I used it in college. And then we had it as a, it's still a hallmark on Fieldstrong. Uh-huh. And John introduced Tom Newman, episode 654. We deep dive this and explore it with Tom, and he does an excellent job uh, going into the science behind it and his relationship with Dr. Kramer and getting some personality from Kramer, which is cool. I thought it was just a name. Yeah. He's actually a hell of a coach, wrestling coach, too. Well, I always thought he was kind of like the boogeyman. I didn't know he necessarily existed. He I, I, I like, ah, like ah. I'd see his name everywhere, and I never, like, we've never interviewed him. I've never seen his picture. I don't know who he is. So it was interesting to hear that he's actually a real person, not just like, a, you know, like, uh, like Homer, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, well, Boyd Epley and, and Dr. Kramer. <laughs> so there was always <laughs> this thing in antiquity, uh, and also within our stuff was, was Homer actually a real person, you know, Homer who penned the uh, Iliad oh, well, Odyssey. Right. But what's wild about and those, Shakespeare, did he exist or is it just a collection of, uh, they believe Shakespeare was a person because, um, I visited Anne Hathaway's cottage. Like the uh, actress? Which, no. So Anne Hathaway, it was Shakespeare's wife, as I believe. Anne Hathaway. No, is that it? No, that's an actress. 
She's in Batman. Uh, and no, I'm sorry. Anne Hathaway. I went to Anne Hathaway's cottage, which is on Stratford upon Avon in the UK. So when, um, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but we were on the, on the, um, on the call yesterday, we had a podcast with Tara Swart, probably one of my favorite people in the world. And I love her book, the source, if you guys haven't read it, but surprisingly she lives in Chelsea which, um, and like, it was weird. Like my, my dad somehow got hooked up with, um, um, through his rotary group. Uh, and they used to rent a flat in this area of Chelsea called uh, Sloan square. And mm -hmm. we used to go over for like a week and go like walk around London. And it was like a super cool area, super trendy, like, you know, Knightsbridge where uh, Harrods is and King's road and all this like cool shit. So we used to walk around a bunch, but my parents were big on history. And more importantly, like visiting historical landmarks. So we would go visit castles. One of the, the things that we went to was a, a little town called Stratford upon Avon, which is a river. And Anne Hathaway, who was Shakespeare's wife, her cottage still exists. So we got to go there. So I assume he's a real person if his wife, Anne Hathaway. So, but that was, in, yeah. So she was from 1556 to 1623, the wife of William Shakespeare. Well, present day, power athlete metabolic circuit is going on on field strong right now if yes. you're interested in jumping in powerathletehq.com forward slash field strong which leads us to this question so this is a six-week cycle uh with the circuit but then we got some gpp built in there to help prepare you and i want to now get into our question since we've laid the foundation exactly the the in-depth for the circuit and specifically who it's for we're talking about college level yeah experienced, well-trained athlete. Mm -hmm. So here's our question from yep. the hotline. <clears throat> Has there been talk of the PAMC for high school athletes, or is it similar to Boyd Epley's method for only more advanced lifters? I believe he just had his juniors and seniors doing it. So going back to Power Athlete Radio with Boyd Epley and the, the writings on this, and this is one thing I valued about what Boyd did, he did not allow his freshman athletes yeah. To execute this so he the the weight room was intense it was going down they got excited about it because it was so difficult john mm -hmm. mentioned the trash cans boyd would reserve this for his second year athletes and on one to create a just a an allure to it of holding people back some yeah but i also think um i, I think there was a psychological piece but also they had to have also, enough training and enough proficiency with the movements to be able to reap the benefit he needed yeah there was kind so of a, there was an amount of volume that needed to be hit and what they were what they found was that the effects were not as good if the athlete couldn't move enough tonnage so there's a number of reasons that we're going to get into of why we recommend not doing this at all with our high school athletes first and foremost that i want to introduce john said tonnage i want to save that one more importantly the life cycle of an athlete mm -hmm. and we have our bedrock program specifically for this audience as they're introduced to the barbell yep. so explain quickly john the life cycle of an athlete and what we are missing if we go too fast and skip over this novice window with our our younger athletes all right. This, I know, is, this is another deep question. So um, when I started lifting weights, I, um, you know, I mean, obviously it was in a high school setting where I was first introduced fairly quickly. Uh, I was invited to go train over at Zangus's place. So George was an old power lifter. 
um, owner of Marathon Nutrition and kind of a you know fairly famous dude in the early 70s, 80s powerlifting scene. And he had a garage gym, three-car garage, squat racks and everything, and a bunch of high school kids who he had kind of assessed as, you know, being, you know, maybe having potential to play college football, he'd invite to come lift weights. So Bob or um, uh, George invites me over to come lift weights at his place. And uh, I pretty much trained with George and George wrote my programming. Uh, it was very power lifter based. Uh, we did, you know, a lot of singles, doubles and triples, you know, some fives, maybe some eights on accessory, whatnot. Um, but there was uh, not necessarily uh, like a plan with the loading. I remember we would come in and, you know, we'd squat, maybe, you know, start warming up. And based upon the warm ups, George would call our working weights. So like uh, if I came in and I was squatting 225, this, he's like, ah, 225 is moving pretty good. Go for this today for, you know, single, double or triple. And he'd call out the reps. So um, I don't know if it was the best way to train because uh, my strength, I got stronger. But it wasn't until I think like maybe two years later um, when my brother came home from college. So my brothers, you know, play college football. My brother Eddie came home for the summer to work. Uh, and he was like, Hey man, let's start training. And I was like, well, this is what I've been doing. He's like, nah, fuck all that. He's like, you're going to do, you know, uh, eights to tens is how you get strong. So we started doing like a little higher rep stuff. We started kind of pushing the weights, pushing the weights. And all of a sudden I got dramatically stronger and what I was doing with George was still making sense. So, I mean, there was like an interesting balance. So, um, it was good. Uh, but I don't know if at the time, um, you know, and, and I, I know the physiology now, um, it didn't make sense to train singles, doubles and triples for a kid like at, at that time for me. And, mm -hmm. and so I saw the shortcomings of how I originally trained, obviously went to college, got pretty strong in this. And then when I, uh, finished in the NFL, uh, and was approached by CrossFit for the cross the football deal, um, I realized, and this is pretty wild. Um, when I, before cross the football launched, I went to the affiliate gathering and I had all these people talking to me about training. And, uh, every one of them was like, Hey, uh, you know, what should I like, what did you do for your training? And I, I would tell them like, this is what my training would be like. And every one of them was like, wow, I'd like to do that. And my question to them was always like, why, like, why would you want to do my training? Um, and they were like, well, it sounds pretty hard or this. And I was like, yeah, but like, um, you're not going to reap the same benefit that I did because you're not, um, and I, I didn't mean this in a negative way. They just weren't as advanced. And I knew that there was certain levels of adaptation, like there was a beginner phase, there was a middle phase, and then there was kind of the elite, uh, you know, fucking professional called the high school coll collegiate professional stages. And uh, I used to see it all the time, you know, guys that had never really lifted weights, they came in. And even if they were in the NFL, I remember watching guys lift weights and even coaching and working with some guys and mm -hmm. being like, yo, man, like you just need a lot more opportunity, dude, a lot more reps. You're so new to this. You're so green. Like I like I knew when a guy was pretty basic with it. So, um, when, uh, I was approached by doing cross the football, I realized the biggest mistake I could make was just putting my training out there that I needed to offer different levels and viewed this idea of life cycle as an athlete, mm -hmm. that there was a beginning introductory phase that I had missed that could be done much, much better. There was kind of an introductory phase and then there was an advanced. And so I wrote out three templates and I remember uh, at the time I went out and visited Mark Ripto and, um, uh, starting strength, starting fame. strength, uh, good friend, Mark Ripto. Um, and we were talking about his coach 
which wrote Only the Strong Shall Survive, which is named, and I'm totally for like Keep going. I got you. You keep going. Um, Only the Strong Survive. Um, fuck. Larry Platt. No. No? No, it's written by... Uh, Note the edit time. Let's... Bill Starr. So Bill Starr uh, wrote a pretty amazing book called The Strongest Shall Survive. And Bill Starr was one of the original strength coaches. So Bill Starr writes his book, um, which is hilarious now that it's $300 on Amazon. I still have the book somewhere. Um, uh, so I, I was rapping with, uh, with Mark about it. And I was like, hey, man, like, um, you know, if I had to train beginners, like this is kind of some theories. And Rip and I started talking about, and this is mainly like two or three in the morning um, after we had eat, just eaten dinner because Rip likes to eat late. But we started talking about a basic linear progression, you know, the Milo's bowl. Um, and we got into the physiology that uh, an unadapted nervous system can effectively use a basic linear progression and almost sneak weight into the strength program because and taking advantage of that unadapted nervous system. So the, the few things that you need for to have an efficient nervous system, especially lifting weights, is opportunity. I gotta have a lot of reps to efficiently do the nervous system. As I put the nervous system under load, a few things happen. You get inter and intermuscular coordination, rate coding, and all these things happen. That doesn't happen like the first time you lift weights. It's a slow progress. And if you slowly add weight to the bar, you can effectively take advantage of this novice window to get an athlete really, really strong while this whole coordination thing is happening. Mm -hmm. And it's, it takes anywhere from 12 to 20 weeks. So Mark and I talked about it and uh, we sat down and I still have the pictures somewhere, but we wrote out like the original cross of football templates and took pictures with our cell phones and um, I came home. So we should get that framed. We'll, yeah, I'll show it to you one day. Um, so we put those down and as I started going through them, uh, you know, when cross the football launched, I had my amateur progression, you know, and, uh, we were doing two days a week. I think Mark's program is three days a week, but they were just three mm -hmm. sets of five. And the reason being was, uh, and we, we tested this actually in CrossFit Balboa. Um, we knew that it was somewhere around 30 reps a week was the volume we needed to keep driving adaptation. Mm -hmm. So we played with four sets of four, which was 16 reps. We also did three sets of seven. And then we did three sets of five. What was amazing was actually the four sets of four was better than the three sets of five. But the issue we ran into was that that extra set increased the time of the strength too much to where now it, it cut into the, uh, the hour block that we were trying to get to for this. You know, we we're trying to get it done yeah. somewhere in that like 50 to 65 minutes. That other set on that four set added too much time and we couldn't get it done. So three sets of five became the default because it just became, you know, we would hit one or two warm ups. They hit their three sets. We get out with about five sets. When we went those four set four sets of four, it ended up adding an extra set, which kind of just increased the time. Well, yeah, when it gets heavy, the recovery time between sets. Yeah, and then the three sets of what was it? No, it was two sets of seven because uh, three sets of six didn't make sense. We did two sets of seven. wasn't enough opportunities. It was too many reps, and that one didn't work. So four sets of four was better than two sets of seven. But the timing of three sets of five worked. So we went and basically used this basic linear progression and we tested it on some people at the gym and they got really strong really fast. 
And I realized for a kid in this novice window with a extremely inefficient nervous system and who's in the process of this internal muscular coordination and rate coding and all the other good shit that's happening, that the linear progression is the single best way to get this athlete to strong. But the issue comes is once that window closes, it mm -hmm. closes. And then you get into, get into more advanced training. And at the time, I was testing the intermediate protocol uh, with Andy Stumpf. So Andy and I were training. Andy was coming back from uh, an injury and was trying to go back on active service. So I was driving down. He was driving up. And I did the professional. I was testing professional. Andy uh, tested the uh, collegiate protocol. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he had obviously lifted weights. He was a Navy SEAL. So it was a, a perfect opportunity to put him in it. And he crushed it. And we did real, real well with that. So that was the kind of the way that those three protocols evolved. Yes. And to connect this back to the question... And you heard the the history and the value and the, the years that it took to understand and master the appreciation for the novice window mm -hmm. that if you do this PAMC, we have so much more valuable tool yeah. for you within the bedrock training program. Yeah. So, so it, it's basically uh, like Boyd Epley, like there's a process, there's a, a, a path of maturation that you have to follow. And if you follow it as you've laid it out with, you know, bedrock and then progressing into something like the collegiate template or, you know, uh, field strong, let's say, um, if you follow bedrock and then once bedrock runs its course and you develop that base level of strength, that foundational strength, once built as you pour it into field strong, you'll be so much farther ahead. Yes. And two very important key factors for the success of a PAMC are going to be quality of movement. Yeah. And then the tonnage, as John mentioned. Yeah. So you're going to be so, strong enough to basically reap the reward or, or elicit the response we, you you're need looking to for. Be. Yeah. And the kids, the high schoolers that you do want to apply this, they won't be either of these. They won't have no. the quality of movement because they haven't had the opportunity and they won't be strong enough to get the, the, the dose response and the adaptation that we're intending with the application of this tool on an intermediate to advanced program like Field Strong. Mm -hmm. Um so my question for the the listener that I can't get because that's how this works. We're in charge. We are the captain now. What is the purpose? Why do you want to do this? And so I anticipate well, uh, some things uh, that I'm, I'm going to pose here because I've been in this position yeah. as a high school strength coach. And guess what? I applied the PAMC for the high schoolers. I've made this <laughs> mistake for you, buddy. Uh, I don't, I, I know you've told me this, but I totally forgot about this. Uh huh. And how I would operate it is with a uh, limited weight room equipment, we would partner up. So say John and I are partners and he would hammer his 10 reps as quickly as I could. And then I would jump in at the top of the 30 seconds. So we would have a uh, limited time to execute our reps. So it was certainly lighter than we would give to our, uh, our athletes here. But uh, just back and forth within the minute. And then I had another group waiting in the wings, their rest time. Mm -hmm. So I was having four kids on a single rack. Just you had 30 seconds, I had 30 seconds. And then team two over here would have 30 seconds and 30 seconds as we would rest. It was the best that I could do. But why did I run it? I was being a selfish coach. I had this awesome tool that I had on Field Strong, and I just wanted to... Yeah. try to run it. So I was being selfish. I was being bored versus just following the protocols of bedrock and making and sexifying bedrock with some awesome accessory mm -hmm. conditioning work and doing things like that. So if, sir, you are bored 
we still have plenty of tools in the, the toolkit that you can utilize to challenge these athletes. So if it's you personally as a coach, that's your purpose. You want to do this because you think it's cool. I got to advise against you and pull you back. Now, if it's for my team, my purpose, conditioning, mental toughness, shared suffering, or building muscle, we also got better tools for that. Yeah. So speak to, let's quickly, John, say we got uh, conditioning on the back end, but a strength program for a high school. What are some creative ways that can get the, uh, the lactic bathing and some lactate tolerance? So if the purpose is lactate tolerance for us, what are some cool tools? I know running bleachers yeah. and holding the bottom of a squat, that sure sucks. Uh, I think, uh, um, you know, and I hate to go with the uh, Zach Ebenash because every time I hear Zach's name, I'd think old, old school. school. Uh, but pushing sleds. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, he does a ton of stuff with heavy carries, um, things that effectively create greater tensile strength with those kids, pushing sleds. Um, which I actually really enjoy the sled because it's so concentric. You know, when you start getting into a lot of movements that are really eccentric heavy, now all of a sudden it's going to affect future training days. So just pushing sleds, pushing them fast, uh, doing some heavy carries and really focus on, uh, focusing on things that allow stabilization with all of a sudden the moving the arms and legs is great. So I think there's some ways to get it. And then my other favorite is just sprinting. Yeah, especially uphill, doing some form of uphill sprinting for those kids is extremely valuable. One, because, um, you know, one, we've never seen anybody run uphill poorly. Uh, it's a pretty amazing phenomenon. I've seen a lot of people sprint poorly. I have yet to see anybody run uphill poorly. And I think it's the reason is to run uphill, you got to get a you know chest over your knees, you got to get a ton of arm swing and a lot of knee drive. And people tend to sprint uphill better than, than in the flats. So And, uh, and recover quicker. Yeah. So if your purpose here is the conditioning, the mental toughness, and the shared suffering, use those very uh, concentric sled pushing and hill running as an opportunity to, one, you find out who your kids are, and two, they can find out who they themselves are. And isometrics. So mental toughness, shared mm -hmm. suffering, and isometrics. You can't get hurt just holding pillars and planks, but you can sure learn something about who you are. Sure. Uh, lean on those. And now the, the final question, if you're, he's using this to pack on some slabs of muscle, what are some fun accessory stuff that you can give to the kids following solid strength training on bedrock? Uh, one of my go-tos has always been um, 10 push-ups, 10 supine ring rows. And we'll do that in just sets until for 10 minutes. I mean, we, we do it with our fighters all the time to dig them in a hole. So, um, just being able to do some, you know, single accessories, uh, max rep pushups, you know, you let them, you know, try to get a hundred pushups in as little sets as possible. Um, the other thing too, which I really enjoy, especially for the kids is, uh, teaching them to swing kettlebells. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a huge kettlebell nerd and like geek out on all the kettlebell stuff, but, uh, there's something extremely primal about picking up a heavy kettlebell and doing a two handed swing, working on a ton of, uh, you know, dynamic, violent hip extension, pushing that bell and then pushing it for higher reps. We also know the squeezing of the big handles ramps up the heart rate and can create an interesting environment for those kids. It's also great for grip training and getting those kids real strong. And the one thing I do like about the swing of the kettlebells is we get that task specific tension where you can kind of relax and it floats and then you have to turn back on to control it. Uh -huh. And I think that task specific tension is extremely important for, for football, for wrestling, really any sport, I mean, baseball even. And, um, you know, it helps create greater tensile strength in those kids. So I was not uh, introduced to kettlebells 
um, early, you know, early in life. Um, it wasn't until later in life that I was for, I first saw them. Um, and they just look like, uh, cannonballs with handles. And then I saw some of the Pavel stuff and, um, you know, power to the people and whatnot. And as I started swinging kettlebells myself, I was like, oh, these are an interesting conditioning tools. And I think they're really interesting for that idea of like being able to keep position, push your hips back, challenge posture and position. You can also do them for high rep swings. So I think uh, one of my favorite workouts um, that we've ever programmed on CrossFit football was called Monkey Claws, mm-hmm. which was 30 swings. You got to get 30 swings in 60 seconds and then a 60 seconds rest. And we for end 10 up doing minutes. it for five rounds. So you get in up. Don't confuse that for 10 rounds. No, it's five rounds, minute on, minute off. But to get to the next round, you have to get your 30 swings in in 60 seconds. And the first time we did it, uh, the reason I called it monkey claws was that my hands were stuck like this and I couldn't straighten my hands. So it took me like I had to go like do this to kind of get my hands straight. And I was like, oh, like I had monkey claws. So that's how it started. Uh, I think at the time we first did it, it was with 72 kilos. And then we started going up to an 88. Then we got to 100. And then it was, uh, you know, 10 swings on the minute for 10 minutes was the goal with the 203, which was the Andy Bolton 1,000-pound deadlift workout, which is pretty mm-hmm. fucking awful. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's ways to progress this stuff. Uh, I think anything that looks like a heavy carry, farmer's carries, heavy carries, uh, anything that looks like a sled. And then, you know, if you want to sprint uphill and then anything that looks like swinging kettlebells is pretty good. Yeah. And curls, push-ups, yeah. horizontal rows. Yeah, anything stick, body weight. Yeah, stick to the basics. And, yeah, if this is for you as a coach because you were bored at high school, I'd advise against that. Get over that and use some fun field-strong tools. Awkward, grip-intensive, flipping tires. Uh, yeah, check out old-school stuff from Zach Evanesh to keep it fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. But – Man, bedrock and the basics are going to take your kids farther on the field yeah. than a PAMC circuit with yeah. them. No, you, you you crushed it, Chris. I mean, there's a, a certain phase of adaptation for each athlete, and the PAMC is just too early. Or I'm sorry, uh, you know, offering it too early is just not going to elicit the response. So a big part of life is timing. So do the timing piece, bedrock. And once they pass bedrock, then we're going to have a better discussion. But too early, they're not going to be strong enough. You're not going to reap the rewards. Sweet. Asked and answered. Asked and answered. As they say, if you want to learn more about coaching programming, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash academy. If you're interested in the training programs that we spoke of, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training. Bedrock, field strong, this will all be there. Those of you that are on Field Strong right now and suffering, I mean, enjoying the PAMC circuit, let us know how you're doing on the feeds. Uh, Come up for a uh, breath of fresh air. Well, there's always a lot of questions. And so if you have any questions about how to attack it, um, like if you ask them, Ingo will jump in there within about two milliseconds and answer it because he has more experience than anybody. Ingo uh, Ingo B, uh, Jeff, is one of our original. Strongest DJ. And, uh, and actually a pretty good jiu-jitsu player too. So his daughter actually just smashed it. He was sending me videos of his daughter at a recent jiu-jitsu contest and she was smashing it, but uh, even smashing boys. But um, he is uh, a, a veteran of this thing from as long as he does it and looks forward to it and is always on there jumping on with a bunch of uh, good answers and good advice. So if you got questions, ask him on the feed. We'll always jump in and help you. Awesome. If you like the podcast, smash that subscribe button. Give us a review. All free and easy stuff that helps the algorithm hmm. that we seem to battle each week. But cool. Cool. All right. Power Radio.
Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.